Amen. Right now, um, again, if you've got your Bible there, um, I want you to go ahead and turn, uh, uh, open it up to Luke chapter 8. And so we're, we're getting back into our Luke study um, that we kind of paused from over the Advent and Christmas tide season. But we are jumping back now into Luke. Chapter 8, and and I'm not going to read the whole passage right now. I'm going to kind of read the passage. It's, it's a pretty lengthy passage we're looking at this evening. And so I'm going to read that passage as we as we discuss it um, uh, over the course of the message. Um, but right now, uh, let's go to the Lord one more time in, in prayer and, and ask him to bless this time and, and to bless our uh, uh, time looking into his word. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, all of your goodness and, and graciousness. God, we thank you for this this um, Christmas season that we are coming out of. We thank you for the joy and the fellowship and the, um, God, times of spending uh, with family and, and um, all the blessings that have come out of this time, God. Um, again, we... we uh, we look forward to um, a couple weeks from now when we can again uh, join together in person and be in each other's presence, God. But we thank you for your blessings that you have kept us healthy. That those, even those of us who have who have been sick, God, that you have that you have kept us um, uh, that that illness from from progressing um, too far and the and the consequences of that being too serious. Um, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that as a, as a mercy. And, and as we're going to talk about tonight in this message, God, we're not promised that. Um, and, and there's certainly no way that we can control that. Um, but we thank you for your grace and mercy in these things. God, as we open up your word, um, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would shine a light on this text, that you would encourage us through it, that you would convict us through it. God, that you would show us yourself, that we would know you and your son and ourselves uh, and the gospel uh, better um, because of the passages uh, that we read tonight. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what I want to do um, tonight is um, we're going to jump back into our study of Luke, like I said, and, and we're going to go over a big chunk of Scripture. This is This is chapter 8. Verses 22 through 56, okay? And so that's, as, as you look at it, you'll probably realize that's a, a generally bigger section of Scripture than we normally do. Um, uh, that actually covers uh, several different scenes um, in, in this passage. Really, you could, I think you could say, easily say four different scenes in this passage. And those are all scenes that we could zoom in on and explore uh, and see all the unique things that are there, Um but I think in a general sense, what we can say is that in in all of these these passages, and particularly with them put together, we see Jesus doing much of the same kind of things that we've been seeing him do up until this point throughout the Gospel of Luke. And, and so what I want to do is I want to use the particular arrangement of these passages, the very fact that they are all connected and, and sit back to back to back to back. Um, I want to use that as as not only an overview of where we've been, but sort of a reintroduction to some of the themes of the book that we've been talking about um, and, and are expressed here in this passage, too. And so that's actually why I asked that question on Facebook this week um, uh, about your fears. So for those of you who are not on Facebook, I asked uh, on the Facebook page, um, I asked people to share their phobias, 
um, they're sort of irrational fears um, that they might have. Okay, and and it was fun because we got a lot of we a lot of, got a lot of great answers, right? And some of the things were sort of common things that you would expect, and and that we know are common fears. People people were scared of heights. Uh, they were scared of snakes, right? They were scared of clowns. Um, not everybody's scared of clowns, but clowns are pretty creepy, right? So, um, and so those are things that are kind of common. Lots of people have those same kinds of fears. Some of the things were a little more obscure. Um, and yet at the same time, they resonated. Uh, uh, James, uh, is, is scared of, of sinkholes. And I was like, well, that's silly. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. I'm scared of sinkholes. Like every time I drive past that place on Alcoa Highway where the sinkholes were, like I notice it and I hold the wheel just a little tighter because I know they're going to swallow me up, right? Um, Marlon is scared of avocado pits, apparently. I'm not sure what that's about, but he's scared of avocado pits. Um, there were all these great kind of comments that people made about, about their fears and phobias and some of the silliness of some of those things and stuff like that. Um, and so with some of those things that people listed, right, those things, you know, we can look at it and we can say, hey, you know, there might actually be an element of danger in some of those things, right, um, though not necessarily a particularly present, you know, urgent kind of danger, right? So so you could say, you know, if you're scared of spiders, um you shouldn't, it, it's sort of an irrational fear, right? Because it's, it's not that spiders can't be dangerous. Certainly they can, but you know, we have, you can have an exterminator spray. Uh, if you're scared of spiders, stay out of crawl spaces, stay out of old buildings, right? And ultimately, if you see a spider, you can just roll up a newspaper, right? And, and swat it. Okay. And so there, there are many things that we might be scared of. But we still feel like we can have a certain level of, of control or safety when it comes to those things, right? But the reality is, is that not all fears and not all things that we are afraid of are like that. Um, the things that are scariest in our world are perhaps the things that we have little or even no control over. Things that have power, in fact, over us. And, and despite the precautions that we might take, these things can can oftentimes overtake us, right? And there's nothing we can do about them. And in particular, I think there are four forces in the world that are like that. Four forces that have tremendous power, um, and we have little or no control over any of them, okay? And so what I think happens is these passages conveniently put those four things back to back to back to back. Okay? We have four stories, and in each one of those, Jesus is being placed face-to-face with the, the most powerful forces and the greatest fears of mankind. All right? And so we see what happens in them. And so, so I've, I've talked about this kind of in passing before. Those four fears, those four powers, are, are what I call the four Ds. Okay? And you'll see why, obviously, it's, it's four words that start with the letter D. The first one we see there in, in verse 22. So let's read that. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go up across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? 
And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Okay, so the first fear, the first power that I think we see here, the first of the four Ds is disaster. Okay? So the disciples and Jesus are crossing uh, what's called the Lake of Gennesaret, or we know it more commonly as the Sea of Galilee. And suddenly this windstorm arises, right? And so we find that that it, you can go to, to Israel even today. There are these sudden violent storms that are common on the Sea of Galilee. And India and I, um, you know, again, it was so cool that we got to go to Israel right before all this pandemic stuff really got going. Um because we got to see so many of these places uh, with our own eyes. And so we got to see the, the geographical feature that actually causes these storms. So when you get up to the top of the, the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, there are these, there's a valley. It has these steep, really steep bluffs um, coming off this valley. And what happens is the cold air in that valley sort of comes down and then hits the warm air coming off the, the, the sea, and, and it creates these, these crazy storms. And all of a sudden, boom, like out of nowhere, these storms can appear. And so the disciples have found themselves caught in the middle of one of these things, and they are fearing for their lives, right? They are fearing for their lives as this natural disaster descends upon them. And so, so one thing that we notice immediately, man, is all it takes is a few minutes researching natural disasters to recognize the incredible destructive power that is generated by things like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and, and volcanic eruptions. Okay. So just like, just in, in quickly, I was looking at a couple of things about natural disasters this week, right? So Mount St. Helens, some of you are familiar with Mount St. Helens when it erupted uh, back in the seventies, I think um, in, in the Western United States, right? Mount St. Helens released 24 megatons of thermal energy. Seven of those megatons of thermal energy were just in the initial blast. Okay. That 24 megatons of thermal energy is equivalent to 1,600 times the size of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Okay? Just this massive destructive force. Okay? Um, The tsunami that hit Japan in in 2011. A 100-foot wall of water traveling 60 miles an hour that washed six miles inland, wiping out everything, right? Roads, cars, buildings, lives. The people who were there had minutes of warning before this massive wave, this, this, uh, this, this surge of water, uh, wiped out everything along the coastline. Okay. Uh, even this last year in, in America, the California wildfires, right? The, the, the largest wildfires that have ever been recorded in that region. Four and a half million acres of, of forest destroyed in this, in this forest fire, right? Again, we could just go name things over and over and over again about all this stuff. But, but the deal is, is this, and we all recognize this was when these things hit, Right when a, when a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake or something like that hits, if you can run, you run, and if you can't get away from it, you you duck and cover, right, and and you hope for the best because there's no stopping them, and there's really not even any way that you can completely prepare for them either. That's the the devastating force that is disaster, natural disaster. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one we see, the second D, is, is we see in, in verses 26 through 33. 
So it says they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is the opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. They begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission, and then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and drowned. So the second D is that the disciples and Jesus encounter is the demonic, right? The second fear, the second force that is out there um, is, is the demonic. And so uh, a man confronts Jesus' his disciples who is, is possessed by these demons. He is oppressed by the demons, um, and not just by one demonic entity, but by many, right? It says, they, they say, our name is Legion, um, one of the other texts, because we are many, okay? A legion of demons is living inside this man. And this man lives as a, as a maniac, right? As a, he's an outcast um, from society. He lives out among the tombs and in the desert on the eastern shore of, of the Sea of Galilee, which, again, is a cool thing. We, you, you can still see these caves, these tombs that they're talking about. Um, as we were driving along the, the coast on the, the east side, you can look up on the hills and see all these holes dotting the, the, the embankments. And that's the same tombs that, that is referenced in this passage. And so you can still see the place where this story uh, takes place and the things it talks about. But this man has been oppressed by these demons, right? This community uh, has been harassed by him, um, and there wasn't any remedy. There was nothing they could do about it. Because, because again, we, we recognize when we're talking about the supernatural, what can mankind do against the supernatural, against the, the spiritual forces in, in other realms? Like, what power do we have over the supernatural, this isn't Ghostbusters. Uh, you don't have a proton pack. You don't have a ghost trap that you can open up and try to try to catch these these demons. Okay, um, mythology has all kinds of, of talismans and charms and and incantations that can are supposed to be able to ward off evil. Right? But when you read the Bible, you don't see any of that stuff. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about like any of that stuff's real. The bottom line is is this: if supernatural forces are against us. There's nothing we can do. We have no protection over them. We don't have no power to defend ourselves because we, we are not, we can't even engage with them on, on, on the same level that they are on, right? And so those things present a, a real and present fear and a real and present danger to mankind because there's nothing within our power that can stop them. 
So Jesus, after he encounters this, this demoniac, um, he, he gets back on the boat and they return to, to the other side of the lake. And after returning, Jesus encounters the third D. And we're skipping down a little bit because it, it continues on, uh, about the, the outworking of, of the story with the demoniac man. But we're going to skip down a little bit and go to verse 40. And this is where we encountered the third D. It says, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at his at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surrounding you are, are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So this this woman has has suffered from this disease, right, the third D, this disease that involves a discharge of blood, okay, and we don't know for sure the nature of her illness, but we but we can certainly say something about the effects of, of what that disease would have meant. Her condition would have been debilitating in almost every way imaginable in that culture, all right? So first off, it would have been physically uh, debilitating, right? The, the toll of a decade, um, a decade plus of, of Frequent blood loss would have taken toll on her on her body and her physicality. Um, financially, she had spent everything she had chasing treatments, right, chasing cures from one physician to another, and ultimately none of them had any answers for her. Ceremonially, the blood would have made her ritually unclean. And therefore, she would have been unable to participate in, in the religious life of, of Israel, the Jewish people. And in turn, because of that, she would have been socially, um, there would have been social consequences for this, right? She would have been a pariah in her own community because her family and her neighbors would fear that her ritual defilement would transmit to them. And then they would be unable to participate in, in, uh, in, in, in temple worship, right? So all these things uh, lead to this picture of this woman who has been afflicted by this illness, and yet she has no control over it. There's nothing that she can do to fix it. I mean, if there was ever a moment for, for our generation to experience the randomness and the ravages of, of disease, it is, it is now with the, with the COVID pandemic, right? You know, we, we hear story after story of, of, of one person who sleeps next to somebody in bed, uh, who has the disease and they never get it. And yet another person just walks through a room and, and, and catches it somehow. Um, one person has little or no symptoms, even though they've contracted the disease. Another person dies within days of, of onset of symptoms, right? This is the randomness 
and 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 the unpredictability and the and the power of of certain kinds of diseases. You know, we just finished um, in our in our good little book study for Advent. We read a book on the Reformation, and and I, we were studying the Reformation in our uh, the homeschool class that I teach also. And I, and I came across an interesting just little story, and it was talking about England in the 1500s during the Reformation era, and there were several outbreaks of what was called English sweating sickness. Okay, and and scientists still had no idea what this thing was. They only had the accounts of people writing about it. But but this disease was so invasive that patients would develop symptoms in the morning and then by the afternoon they would be dead from from the disease. Okay, within 12 hours or less. That's the 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 scariness of, of the way diseases can work sometimes. Right. Um, I'm I'm reminded of a sweet young lady who was a barista at Vienna a few years back, and she learned that she had liver cancer um, as a as a girl just in her 20s. She she learned that she had liver cancer on October 3rd, and she went to be with the Lord on October 17th, two weeks later. You know, there's there's no denying that science has made many leaps when it comes to medicine and treatment and procedures and and all of those things like that, and yet. At the same time, at the end of the day, there are many diseases and many conditions that there's simply nothing we can do against them, right? We are powerless when those things uh, exert their force on us. So that brings us sort of obviously linking us to the last D. We've got disaster, the demonic disease, and finally we come to the ultimate fear, death itself. So in verse 49, it says, while he was still speaking, so this is, this is in conjunction with the story of the woman who had the, uh, the issue of blood. While he was still speaking, someone from the rulers, that is Jairus' house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except John and James uh, Peter and John and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So again, Jesus is called to the side of this little girl who is dying uh, of what we don't know. But, but um, before Jesus can get there, uh, the little girl dies. So again, for death is for, for many their greatest fear. Perhaps even more particularly in this story, the death of a child um, is, is, is many people's greatest fear. Um, we all know how powerless we are against death. You can you can try to run from it, um, and sometimes you can for a little while, but eventually it will catch you, and there's and there's nothing you can do about it. Those who are awaiting Jesus at the home of this this little girl's father, Jay Iris, they know that death is unstoppable. To the extent that when the little girl dies, what do they say? They, they send word to Jesus and say, don't bother coming, right? It's, it's too late. 
death has, has had its way. There's nothing more you can do here. The little girl is gone because nobody can stop death. So this is what we find. All four of these stories come together. They sit um, as I think is as a as a representative of our greatest fears and also the most powerful enemies that mankind has. Disaster, the demonic, disease and death. And so then the question becomes, but, but what if there was someone who could stand against those things? Right? Not just challenge them, not just go punch for punch with them, but defeat, no, dominate those forces. If there was somebody like that, I would want to know that man. I would want to join his side. I would want to be under his protection. And that's exactly what these stories are pointing towards. There is such a man, and that man is Jesus Christ. Jesus has authority over all of these forces. So we've talked several times throughout the study of Luke about how Jesus' authority is challenged by the Pharisees and different groups at different places, and then Jesus typically displays that authority and proves his authority in, in various ways throughout Luke. But I feel like there's a unique, the unique arrangement of these four stories is significant, okay? Because in each story, we find that Jesus specifically has authority over each one of these forces. That is, all these things that we are helpless of, all these things that, that we, when we stand face to face with them, we have no defense, we have no hope. And yet Jesus is victorious in all of them. In fact, here's the thing. Victorious is even, it it misses something because victorious is a little too strong a word, I feel like almost. Because when you read the passages, Jesus doesn't go like to battle against these forces exactly. Um, He's almost nonchalant, right, about their supposed power. Okay, consider the fact that when the hurricane is raging, uh, Jesus is asleep. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about these things. When the demons who have terrorized and held sway over this man and his community encounter Jesus, there's no, like, cosmic struggle of forces. All of a sudden, immediately, now it is they who are terrorized. They are the ones screaming in terror. They are the ones begging Jesus not to torture them. In three of the stories, Jesus speaks a word, right? Just a word. That's all he does. And the most powerful forces of destruction known to man are defeated. And and with one of them, the woman who is healed from the issue of blood, it doesn't even take that. Jesus seemingly just kind of heals her on accident. Like the, the, the power over these things is just emanating from him. Jesus has complete power and authority. And so the disciples rightly ask back there in verse 25, and this is what Luke is getting at. Who then is this 
that he can command even the winds and the waters and they obey him. Who is this man who can do all these things, right? We've seen prophets in the Old Testament. We've seen wise men. We've seen um, leaders who, who God has chosen and anointed. But But who is this guy who has total and supreme power over disaster, disease, the demonic, and over death itself? And although we as Christians, 2,000 years later, we already know the answer to that, right? We know exactly who this man is. But Luke is working towards the the climactic revelation of of the answer to that question by Peter in chapter 9, which we're going to get to in just a few weeks. And it is only when we recognize that ultimate and total authority of Jesus over all of creation, over over all of those different forces, it's only when we do that that we can see the hope and the comfort that is found in each one of these stories. And so just as we close, just, just go back and think about, about an, a, a principle that comes out of each one, right? The disciples in the first story were afraid that Jesus was asleep during their suffering, right? That he was unconcerned with what they were going through. But, but Jesus' sleep is not a function of his lack of concern for us. But it's a function of the fact that no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, God has it under control. And there's a message for us there, right? The fact that we all the time feel like God is asleep at the wheel in our lives when we go through difficult things. We feel like God is obviously not paying attention or not watching. And yet what we see in that passage is that Jesus is completely control of, of the trials and, and tribulations that come into our lives. Jesus isn't asleep because he's unconcerned. He's asleep because he's in total control. In the second story, Jesus is confronted by this legion of demons, and and the fear was that the size and the scale of this evil was just too much to be stopped, right? The people could do nothing. They tried to stop it. They tried to shackle this man. They tried to contain him, and he would bust through these things and, and do whatever he wanted to anyway. But what we find out in this passage is that even though it is legion, right, There are it is a legion of demons in this man. What we find out is that the size of the evil is irrelevant to Jesus. He is capable of casting out the smallest sin just as much as he is capable of casting out the most pervasive, uh, dominant evil. In the third story, so so we kind of ask the question, what are we called to do? in the face of of these fears, right, in the face of these powers. When we are confronted in our little human lives with these forces that, that we seem to do be able to do nothing about and that, that we live in fear of, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? Well, that third story about the woman who has the issue of blood shows us the principle that, that faith changes things. Realize that the answer to all of our fears, is always, I must go to Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus. If if I can only touch the fringe of his garment, that'll be enough. Not because my faith is powerful, but because Jesus is powerful. And so if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just reach out to Jesus, that'll be enough. I can face those fears and that power if I can just 
be next to Jesus in the process. And then finally, that last story, the, the story about Jairus' daughter, the story about death itself, in, in, in the face of, of terrible suffering and heartache, right? And that's exemplified, again, particularly in a story about the death of a child. Right? We, we all recognize the, 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 the heartache and the, and the suffering that is there, right? And yet we rest in God's authority over death. We rest in Jesus' authority over death. And that's not just some kind of false optimism. That isn't, oh, well, you know, Jesus is powerful, so nothing bad will ever happen to me. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are saying is that at the end of the day, if Jesus has ultimate authority, then nothing befalls his people that he has not planned and permitted. Evil, sadness, tragedy, those things are going to come. But for the believer, Jesus' words to those two parents in verse 50 still ring true and are the same words that he says to us. And that is, do not fear, only believe. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we, we, uh, as we look at your word and as, as we read these texts, God, we, um, God, we know that you are showing us a picture of, of a Jesus, um, who has authority and power, a, a Jesus who we can trust with our very lives, who we can hand over, um, all of our, all of our fears and our hopes, God, who we can hand our, our lives and our futures to because he is capable. He is authoritative. He is powerful. Um, he can hold on to these things and keep them safe and protected. And that even when things look dire around us, even when things look tragic around us, we know that he is capable of, of turning back, of defeating even the most tragic things in our lives. Father, we ask that you would help us um, to have that kind of trust and hope as we enter into to 2021. Father, we continue to to pray that that things will get back to normal and that our country will be um, healthy and at peace and and be able to to progress in the new year. But God, we we know that maybe some of those things aren't uh, they won't be easy and they won't come quickly and they may not come at all. And yet we know God that in all these things. You are totally in control, that you have power over all of these things, and that even when it seems like those those forces um, have the upper hand, God, we still know that your son Jesus Christ has all authority over them, and that with a word of his mouth, each of them can be defeated. And if that is the case, if he has that kind of power, and if we know he loves us so greatly that he would die for us on the cross. God, those two things combined must tell us that he is not unconcerned with our troubles. He is not incapable of helping, but that he has allowed all these things for some reason, for some purpose, for some good. God, we are, we are assured of that promise. And even if we cannot see fully um, all the things you have in store, we can rest in the knowledge of your power and authority to those things we fear. 
Father, help us to rest in that as we as we strive to serve you and as we walk with you on a daily basis. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.